And that's exactly why I kind of took a break from the Minor Prophet series, even though we're in another Minor Prophet. But this is just a hymn of praise today. Uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Just three simple little verses, but powerful little verses. And so, I, you know, as we've been going through this series, you know, uh, Jonah... His, his name meant dove, and you can see the power of the Holy Spirit working within Jonah, as well as in the city of Nineveh, as well as in the mariners and, and everything else. And then we went to Nahum, whose name means comfort, if you will, and that's exactly what God's sovereignty ought to bring us, in a sense, is that sense of comfort, that God is completely in control. He's brought us to salvation. He'll see us through till the end. And then now in Micah, his name is an old Hebrew name that means, who is like God? And that's exactly what this kind of sermon series is, in a sense. No other gods compare to him. This is exactly where we're at. And so, the prophet Micah and his whole articulate book of seven chapters really talks about God and and his glory and how really no one else is like him. But it is a lament. And a lament is meant, you know, it's very simple. Like a definition is an expression of grief or an expression of sorrow, things that are challenging. We see around us everywhere we look that things can be very challenging depending on you know, our stances, as well as the situations and circumstances of our lives and the things that surround it. But with a lament, it's initially to start off with complaints, in a sense. You bring your injustices or, or your struggles or whatever before God. So, so we have a sense of complaint. Then we petition Him for help on those complaints because, well... There's a reason they're complaints in the first place. We're struggling with them. We struggle in our lives and in our walks and where we're going. And so we always can ask our Lord and Savior for help in any and every situation, just as you know, all three of them have described, like the Lord reigns and he's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. And so after the petitions of help, then the Holy Spirit seems to start working in us. And then we start remembering these statements of trust and the statements of hope that come through Scripture and through our lives. And, and so, you know, as Micah goes on, this is kind of the stages of, of where it's at. And, and we build our confidence through these examples. And then ultimately, in the end, and, and that's where the sermon's at today, is that we can refocus on the reality of our sovereign God and the holiness, His character, his nature, his kingship, and how he's absolutely over all things. And we can go back to praising him that despite our complaints that make us ask for help, that remind us of the statements of building trust, that eventually we come back to, hey, we know this. We know our Lord. It's going to be okay. Like he's called us to it. And, and as much as many of the songs through the perseverance of the saints, that's exactly what God's doing. Because it's not on us that we're going to persevere to the end. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day of Christ. And we have that hope and we have that glory because of Jesus and trusting him, the faith that we have in him, and then the repentance to turn from our ways to follow God's ways. And so... Just to give a, a brief cover to exactly what we're talking about here, when he's talking about lamenting, and we're going through this book, 
because it's very topical too, and it actually kind of makes me want to go through the book of Micah maybe a little bit more, because uh, this was all we're going to stop at, because Ron's preaching next week, and then we're going to start Habakkuk after that. But he's lamenting over the weak being treated unfairly by the strong. Very common today. Okay, He's lamenting over the religiousness of their worship, which ultimately is works-based. Whenever I say religion, it implies a works-based system as if I'm going to earn something from God based on my response and the things that I'm going to do rather than simply acknowledge that he's the sovereign king and Lord and to turn and believe. So the, not to mention too, you know, we talked a little bit last week, the way that Israel dealt with the other nations, they were worshiping many different gods and, and they welcomed many different gods. So that was a problem and certainly lamenting. Politically lamenting because of dealings both inside and outside of the country. This is all within the book of Micah. In fact, Micah covers four different kings of Israel in their generations, if you will, in those seven chapters. So you can imagine all the turmoil and the frustration. And, and again, inside the country and outside the country, political mess, that doesn't exist anymore. That was 2,000 years ago. Same as today, right? And then socially, socially, uh, their care for the orphan and the widows and the downtrodden. This kind of very similarly goes back to lamenting over the injustice over the weak and the oppression of the strong over the weak. And then economically as well, because of the wars that they're having to deal with. We just finished up with Assyria and, and you know, everything that was going on there. And, you know, they were just one piece of a big puzzle for both Israel, northern tribe, and Judah, the southern tribe. So you see all of those. And then, really, when we get to the book of Micah, uh, chapter 6, Verses 6 through 8 kind of sums up a little bit of what Micah's deal is, in a sense, or where he's going. And so it says, what does the Lord require of you? Because everyone always thinks of this, and it's probably most well-known and best read for this. And so, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offering and with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Again, this is a workspace system. Maybe if I do enough burnt offerings, maybe if I sacrifice enough rams, maybe if I you know, have, have enough oil poured over me, that'll make things better. But that's not the case. And we know that that's not the case. So it goes on like this. And here's the gospel bell. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And then he goes on, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And that actually ties into this final section too, especially that sense of doing justice, which is loving your neighbor, standing up for what is right, biblically right, Love kindness, it's that very famous word, has said. It's that steadfast love. It's that loyal love. It's that faithful love. It's that covenant commitment that God has for his people that he will not let you go. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, My sheep hear my voice, and they know my name, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
And that's the absolute truth. And then to walk humbly with God, to acknowledge him in all your ways on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that's morning, afternoon, evening, good night. We make <coughs> countless decisions, dozens of decisions on a daily basis. How many of those do we ask Jesus for help for? Interesting. So without further ado, let's pray and let's worship because there is no other God like him for all that he's done for us. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the blessings of today. I just thank that we can come here, we can be your church, and that we know that you are Lord and that you are Savior. And that without you, we wouldn't even be here standing here in this morning. And so because of that, Lord, we just appreciate your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your steadfast love, your covenant commitment for us, your compassion, your jealousness, all the character traits of who you are. Because, Lord, we know who you are, we know what you've done, and we know what you're going to continue to do because of your word. So, Lord, continue to work within us. Continue to teach us your ways. Continue to shine your light into our dark hearts. And continue to sanctify us by the Holy Spirit, that we may continue to grow in your likeness, and we may continue to stand strong in the waves of the world and the attacks that they have, because we know who we are safely and securely in you, Lord Jesus. And it is in your name we will forever pray. Amen. All right, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. So, very first point, and, and as you're looking at this on the back of your bulletin, I kind of had fun with this too, just as much as I asked the worship team to come up with a song that they, you know, really meant praise to them. The very first point, uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord host, that comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. The second point, that comes from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And then the last point is from Psalm 136, verse 1. Just because it's everywhere. His love, his steadfast love, his commitment, his everything is everywhere. And his reign and his sovereignty and our reasons for praise are clearly marked throughout all of Scripture. And so, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And being holy, we know, means to be set apart, means to be different from the rest of the world. So, in our lives, and it's kind of interesting because as a society, we always want to be different even though technically we're not different. And we're still listening to other people that are around us that have influence for us. And then we try to mock, you know, maybe movies, not, not mock them, but copy them in a sense, you know, famous people, movie stars, musicians, things that were like, oh, my life would be so much better if I was just a little more like them. But our life ultimately would be so much better if we were more like Jesus. In, in the long and the short of it, because he is holy. And we know certainly that the Holy Spirit is working within us and makes us holy. That's kind of the reason why he's called the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. 
It's, you know, they're all holy. They're all set apart and unique. But because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, he changes us into Christ's likeness, thus making us holy in that sense. But sticking to the text, because I like to get off, off track a little bit, and, and, and certainly I want to talk more about who is a God like you. And especially as we talk about, you know, Micah and his name like that. In this context, it's all about God actually dealing with the atrocity and the pandemic, if you will, of sin in our lives. Now, we could go back and we could study many different gods over many different generations and many different things. Um, but ultimately, none of them take care of this. So who is a God like you? He's, he's different, first and foremost, from this text because he deals with sin justly. He deals with it. He doesn't just wipe it under the table. He's not like, a, here's the scales. Maybe you're good, kind of outweighed your bad. But that's religion in the sense. Because again, it's a workspace system that depends on our performance as individuals. Rather than the gospel, which says it's done, that was dependent solely upon Jesus' performance, not ours. If anything, that there would be performance by us, it's... Have we repented? Have we returned from our ways? And do we truly have the faith to believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life? That's what he's talking about in this text. But let me expand it one more level for you, how God is, is so different. And what I just mentioned about the workspace system, first and foremost, that's that's probably the biggest one that you'll see within if you've ever looked in any religions. Like, let's talk about what salvation looks like. Let's talk about what redemption looks like. Let's talk about, you know, many different concepts within those religions, if you will, and how we earn our righteousness as opposed to have Christ's righteousness imputed on us in that sense. So our Lord is very different because of that, because he is the only one in all of the gods of the past, and, and certainly we could, again, talk about many of them. Uh, I think about Babylon, and I think about the, what they call the Enuma Elish, which is their creation story, if you will. And their creation story is centered upon two gods that had a fight. One split the other god in half, and that created heaven, and that created earth. So we are living inside of a God's body as we speak. It's kind of odd, right? Okay, here's, here's why a lot of those stories are wrong. Because A, now look at what these gods have done. Okay, they were starting and they were fighting and they were murdering. Okay? Now, according to sin, is that holy? No, it's not holy and it's not in the slightest. Now, when we look at our God's wrath and we talked about this, it stems from his jealousy, which stems from love, which is that fierce commitment and, and intrinsic love for his creation and for his people specifically. It is not a primary you know, characteristic of God. It's a secondary that comes out of love because, hey, this can't go on anymore because it's hurting the people that I care for. And that's why God intervenes, and that's why he destroyed Nineveh all that time. They had their chance to repent in Jonah, but then because of their wicked ways and what they were doing to people, God had to intervene. And he's done that through all, all redemptive history. But our God is very different because he is good, and in him is no darkness at all. He is light, if you will. 
So because of his nature and because of that, he also is the only God that has come down the mountain. Look at all the other different religions. They all stand high up on their peak. They all sit there and judge and condemn and maybe bless, depending on how much we've done for them or whatnot. But that's not the case with God. And especially think about the songs that they've chosen for this week and how, you know, without Jesus loving us first, there's no way we would love him. No way at all. Because we're born dead to God's ways, spiritually dead. We need to be quickened or regenerated or made alive again. And that's exactly what our God does. That's why he's so unique and so different because he's not like another boss that I have to please, which unfortunately is how the world sees our Lord and sees the true God. And it's not another boss that we have to please. No, he genuinely, sincerely cares for his creation because he is the creator God. And it's very simple like that. There's many other ways that we could talk about how unique our God is, and especially in regards to characteristics. But just think about all the other gods wanting you to do things for them and all the other gods holding hate and murder and violence in their characteristics and their lifestyle. But that's not our Lord in the slightest. It's not his character. It's not his nature. He's very, very, very different. There are no other gods that compare to him in the slightest. And he deals with sin justly. So moving on in the verse, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. You see that. And iniquity, let's call it a sense of lawlessness or a wrongness from God's way. Okay? Now, transgression we'll talk about it in the sense of breaking the law knowingly, in the sense of the moralism. So we're breaking the law, or we're living apart with our own law, not God's way. Either way, we're missing it. Sin, in its purest form, is labeled homartia, okay? And it carries with it a hunter's term. It means missing the mark. Us as human beings were created for worship, worship of a, of a God, to love, to serve, to honor, and to enjoy. Like all the catechisms begin with the whole duty of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. Very simple, very easy. But we make it way more complex than that. And so this homartia, missing the mark, means that we fail to glorify God as we were initially created to. And we know that that's because of our sin. So it's not just, oh, I've done the bad things like the transgression, or oh, I'm living my own life you know, because of iniquity. But God forgives these things because he understands, again, the struggle that we as human beings have with sin and the wicked control that it has over us. Like, people say sin is an archaic word, but man, you see it everywhere and in every human being, every institution, every everything. I'm not saying to give it some kind of like, wow, look at it. But at the same time, you have to be aware of it. Because it destroys you, it destroys people you love, and it hurts tons of people, like down the line, systematically in a sense. Because the sin of one business owner can affect so many different lives. And we see that today. And, and especially when you consider Micah and all the, the woes that he had 
for the world. It was social, it was economic, you know, wartime, political, like it just kept going on and on and on and on. And it feels really heavy right now too. Maybe just because we're more aware of it, but it's heavy because of sin. And there's not as much praise and as much joy as there used to be because we're all like, our eyes are looking here on earthly matters rather than the glory of God and heavenly matters in our lives. We worry about so many materialistic things or, you know, what's going to happen to the U.S. The list goes on and on and on as far as things that we can do. But God is like no one else because he deals with sin. He understands us better than we understand ourselves in this. And then he creates a remnant for his inheritance. Uh, part of the reason why I chose the Isaiah 6, verse 3, the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, because the prophet Isaiah speaks very intensely, and I know I've mentioned this recently, about the remnants of the nations that are going to be in heaven with him and will worship him. Like, people from most every nation will be in heaven. God has created for him a remnant of you know, ethnicities and cultures to, to worship with him forever. And, and that is unique because, you know, you think about the other gods again too, like, okay, maybe I'll let you in, you know, let's weigh the scales. Like maybe your good works outweigh your bad, but it's never been that way. And it's certainly never been that way with God. Because here's the thing, once you've sinned, you're guilty. There's no, I'm not guilty, or it wasn't that bad, or any other thing. It's just when you've committed a sin, Thus you stand guilty. So how do you get unguilty? And then we know that that happens because of Jesus and the propitiation and the payment by his blood and the redemption. But praise the Lord, again, that he's created a remnant for his inheritance. Praise the Lord that there is no God like him. Praise the Lord that he pardons iniquity. He pardons transgression. He passes it over. He will forgive it. And then praise the Lord that he doesn't retain this anger forever. Because, man, if I was God... Praise the Lord, I'm not, because I would smite a whole lot of people. Just because I can. <laughs> like, you guys all deserve it in a sense. I deserve it. We all do. But praise the Lord for his character and his nature, that he is willing to forgive our foolishness, because we don't know our right hand from our left. We don't know his ways. And we were born spiritually dead and then left to the ways of the world, raised by the situations and the circumstances of our life. And that's tough, because it really depends who you're surrounded by then in your life, because you're raised by them. But now, praise the Lord, we have the Spirit. We can, can, again, continue to change and be blessed and grow into Christ-likeness in all of this. And so he doesn't retain that anger forever because of this super important awesomeness of God. He delights in steadfast love. He delights in it. That steadfast love. Again, if I look at the ESV, it says steadfast love. If I look at the NIV, it just says love. If I look at the Lexham English Bible, it says loyal love. If I look at the Christian Standard Bible or the New Living Translation, it says faithful love. If I go to the King James Version, it says mercy. This word, this has said, which is the, the real word, translates to all those because we don't have a proper word in our vocabulary to define this type of amazing 
love that God has, that covenantal commitment. And you see it at the end of it in verse 20, because it was the initial promise to Abraham to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And because God made that promise, and because God is faithful, praise the Lord, we have these blessings. We have this opportunity. Even in 2021, as the church, we're not Israel. We're multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse, all across the whole world, special people that God has chosen to be a part of his kingdom in life for now and eternity. Praise the Lord. All right. Good. <laughs> so again, this steadfast love and his holiness, these just start the tip of the iceberg and like Dan's song said like this is just the beginning there's so much more that we can talk about in 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 the character and the nature of God but how holy is he how set apart is he from the rest of the world which is why we struggle so hard to understand him because he's not worldly I can't just put him in a box and understand him I've got to keep growing and keep understanding through his word through his people through life experiences with him and the Holy Spirit. And so, because we have to go through those things, praise the Lord in point two that he is merciful, that he is gracious, and that he is slow to anger in all of this. Because he will again have compassion on us. Certainly, when Micah says that, he's talking about the struggles that's going on in Israel. like And, and how it would appear that God has turned his back on him, as well as Israel in general. But God doesn't do that. He, he, again, like he might have this anger because he's a God at war with sin, but he is going to come back. He is going to have that compassion. And just as a reminder, what that compassion is, is that it is the quality of showing kindness or favor. Sometimes we call that grace, but of being gracious or, but ultimately it's pity and it's mercy. And you're like, whoa, those are harsh words, but Praise the Lord that he looks at us that way because if he didn't look at us with mercy, if he didn't look at us with pity, if he didn't look at our helpless, helpless estate and decide, you know what, I need to help them, then we wouldn't be talking about God's compassion. We wouldn't be talking about his love in the slightest. We'd be talking about the gloom and doom that we know ultimately we all deserve because of our inherent sinful natures that are within us. But how awesome it is that God has that compassion for us. And then, biblically speaking, as you see this, compassion isn't just a feeling, okay? A lot of times we talk about just our feelings. But in Scripture, biblically, compassion is actionable. Let me look at the text again. He will again have compassion on us, and then... This is what he does because he has compassion. He'll tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, thus destroying them and wiping the slate clean so that we can be with him in heaven. We're washed with the blood of Christ. We're saved from the wrath of God, you know, as the umbrella that Alicia talked about briefly, that, that wrath so that God sees us, in a sense, as his son. But... He is a God at war with sin. So let us stay in Christ and let us steer clear from the sin because we need God's compassion. And, and without that, we would not be where we're at today. And so the feeling that God has as well as the 
action that God has because steadfast love too. Like, oh, I love you, but I'm not going to give you clothes. I'm not going to care for your food. I'm not going to care for anything. I'm just going to say it, but not do anything about it. But our God is so much better than that because he says it. But more so than that, he promises it. And we can hold on to those because he's absolutely faithful. And then it's actionable. It's actionably seen within our lives as well as within Scripture. That's kind of the beauty of the Old Testament is seeing God's character played out with his people. Like we understand certainly the Gospels telling the life and, and times of our Lord and Savior Jesus and then the epistles of the church. But the Old Testament has a lot to do with God's working with his people, which certainly is important for us because we always wonder how God works within us. But you see that in his compassion and again, how he's destroying sin. Like, he's not just, ah, you know, it's okay, or I'm just going to, well, you're not that bad. Okay, you can come in. He can't, she can, blah, blah, blah. No, it is literally you're washed clean, and that sin will exist no more. Can you imagine that life? Like, I don't want to keep your head in the clouds, but I, I think, I feel like more times than not, there should be a healthy remembrance in our lives of just where we're going and who we're with how God will be in our midst how there won't be any more sin no more lying no more pain no more suffering no more disease no more war like you think about all the things like our God his holiness is so holy he is completely different than this world like in in the sin categories right like you see all the things that human beings do well guess what God doesn't do and you know where love comes from? Like, it comes from God. Like, we, we have this reciprocal notion of love. We don't have the sacrificial notion of love that God has for people. We have a, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back kind of love a lot of times in our lives. And, and that's not profitable in the long run because it's, like, because it's fake. Let's be real. Like, human beings a lot of times are very fake in we do and we're doing it for self-glorification again because that's sin making it all about me you hear in the world right now i i i i me 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 and, and you're just witnessing a sinner in full sin not helped by the holy spirit in their slightest they're just bent on their own ways and people have probably have encouraged them to be bent on their own ways. Or they find an echo chamber, like Facebook can be, where people will agree with them. And then that gives them the boldness and the courage to be more me, 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 me. But that's not God. God was never about me. It was like, ultimately it's about Him. But the way that God has it about us is a sacrificial sense. Because he doesn't need us in the slightest. And if anyone's going around thinking that, that God needs us, no, it's because of his love for us that he exists. He doesn't need us to do anything. He can live eternally by himself, but he doesn't want to. Because he loves us. And he makes it about other people. Which is why he sent his son. Just like in Micah, you know, chapter 6, verse 8, like, what do I do? Should I send my firstborn to transgress for the sins of my soul? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but on our end, that doesn't measure up. 
Like, how many rams do we have to sacrifice? How many sins do we have to atone for? How many times a day do you sin? How many times a day do you think improper thoughts about other human beings, whether that's in lust or hate or anger or frustration or covetousness or anything like that? Each one of those is a sin. You've got to atone for it. How many rams you got at your house? You're going to need a lot of rams. Somebody needs to know a farmer. Like, we need to bring him in here. We'll just do that 24-7 because that's kind of what you need to do unless God did exactly what he did by sending his son as the perfect once-for-all final atonement for sin as he's done. So praise the Lord again for all of these things that he's done, especially his compassion, his having pity and mercy on us, his being actionable in all of his deeds, his keeping his promises. And so, man, I... There's still so much more I want to say, but praise the Lord that he's merciful, that he has pity on us, that he's gracious, that he showers us with unmerited favor because you and I didn't earn it. And then he's slow to anger, which means he just doesn't zap people like they need to be zapped, like I would zap people. <laughs> and so I'm grateful for God for that because he is slow to anger. He's not, he's not the condemning, awful, harsh, boss, judge, executioner that a lot of people make him out to be because he's not that way. And Scripture doesn't really describe him that way, but people will describe him that way because that's all people know because that's the world that we live in, is that there are people like that. And so when you see all those other gods from all the different, you know, the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, like the list goes on and on. They had a God for everything, but there is just one God over all to seeing all, the creator of all. And man, just praise the Lord that he is the way that he is and that he is holy in all of this. And so this last one, the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, I preached on Psalm 136 before. It is a, a beautiful psalm and a testimony. And in fact, like, you know, one person says one line and then another person says the next line. And it keeps going back and forth. Like, it's a, it's a very cool psalm. But God will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so faithfulness is, is certainly... We can accept the human definition of that, but the biblical definition carries such meanings as to strengthen, to support, or to hold up another human being. And we can trust our God for that because he is faithful. He does hold us up. In our most trying times and our most troubling adversities, God is still there to love us and support us and to hold us up in that and to give us counsel and to give us wisdom and to give us direction on where we're going in our lives. And, and, you know, where Micah might have been in this, I'm going to read this, Numbers 23, uh, verse 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I can't argue with that. God's promises are solid gold. They're more precious than gold. Because they're his truth, truth that we can expect, truth that we can rely on, and it gives us that hope, hope for today and hope for the future, strength for today and strength for tomorrow as well. God has done all of these things. And so, you know, you go back and you think about all of redemptive history, and certainly here he's calling out Jacob, who later became 
became Israel, had that wrestling match with him, knocked his leg off. If you remember, changed his name. And then that steadfast love to Abraham for descendants as numerous as the stars. And so Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 9 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Look at God continuing to keep his steadfast love for all of us. Even you think about it, you've got the Old Testament, you've got Israel. You've got the New Testament is the coming of the church. In the Old Testament, you've got the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, you have the church. And God is continuing that steadfast love, that covenant commitment. Descendants as numerous as the stars, a people for his own possession. And why did he do it? Because of love. And what did Israel do? Nothing. <laughs> Just because they were there. Right? Like, it, there was no reason. It wasn't because you were more in number. It wasn't because, you know, you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you. And because he's keeping the oath that he swore to the fathers. And so praise the Lord again in all this that he is good. And that his steadfast love endures forever. Because that's where our hope is right now. That God continues his steadfast love. It's our purpose right now why we're still here on earth in general is because of God's steadfast love to save sinners. We're waiting for those to be saved to be saved and Jesus to come back and then everything around us will be no more, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth full of glory and without sin in the slightest. And that's reason to rejoice. We're, we're just waiting to get there in a sense. So enjoy today. Look at the beauty of today. Why are you worried about what's going on in Afghanistan? You're not in Afghanistan. Like, I get it. People, humanity, you're not there. Why are you worrying about all the other things that are going on in the world? You're here in this moment. God is in control of all things. All things. That's his sovereignty. That's his creatorship. Like, you know, Dan was talking about the ozone. Have you, have you really considered how amazing the world is? Have you really considered how amazing you are? Or are you just worried about all that's wrong in the world? Because sin's got your eyeballs. Sin's got your heart because it's living within you. But also the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we have our Lord Jesus. And that's why we can continue to look towards that strength and that hope for life because it's not all these bad things. These bad things have been around forever. I just told you Micah's issues, they're no different than today's issues. It's all the same junk over and over and over and over again. And it's kind of like, when's it going to end? Well, when Jesus comes back. 
So let's enjoy the blessings that we have in our lives, the people that have been placed in our lives, rather than continuing to look at all the shortcomings. And especially when you consider our God and the blessings and the holiness that he permeates just from his character. And so you see in this too, and we'll bring it to a close, this is a hymn of praise, okay? This is the end of a six and a half, you know, uh, chapter lament. We're dealing with frustrations, dealing with asking for God for help, reminding ourselves of his truths and his courageousness. And so verse 18 is about what God has done. And I know God has done things for you in your life. He has called you to salvation. We wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if he didn't. But verse 19 and 20 are all what God will continue to do, not just for Israel, but for us. And you see that his steadfast love, his faithfulness, all of these promises of compassion and mercy and pity and love, all will continue to follow us the rest of our days because God has called us to be his own. He's created a people for his own possession and we are those people. So as much as I'm telling you, I have to tell myself all the time, why, Eric, are you continuing to look at all the silly, sinful things of the world when there are so many rich blessings that surround me on a daily basis in my life? So we too, both theologically through his word and experientially in our daily walks with God, can praise the Lord for what he has done and for what he has continued to do. And as this beautiful morning continues to develop into this beautiful afternoon, let us rejoice for today is the day that the Lord has made. His mercies are new every morning. Yesterday is yesterday, today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow. You know, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I wish I could remember more of the Matthew passage on, on your arm right now. It's just, I'm, I'm having one of those brain collapses. But praise the Lord for who he is. Because whether it's individually in our walks or corporately in our walks together, we can very easily praise the Lord just for who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to continue to do. And that's the, the theme and the end of a lament. And so whatever you're lamenting, because I know we all are, and maybe it's something that we need to, to practice in a sense, just because we need to take these petitions to God. We need to air out all of our junk, and we need to remember his truths and his steadfast love and his glory and, and just the, the, the promises that he has. Because when we see those, then we can really appreciate and really praise our Lord for who he is again. So I'm not going to repeat myself anymore, but man, praise the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you again for your blessings. I hope you continue to work within our hearts and our minds that we can stop looking at just the, the wrong in the world and understand that certainly there's going to be wrong. But Lord, use us individually to reach others individually. You know, we talk about all these big issues, Lord. We talk about racism. We talk about abortion. We talk about war these things. And honestly, Lord, 
here's the thing, we're never going to be able to stop those. But what we can do is we can reach people individually. Like that mom that's debating an abortion, that's debating murder, let us have an opportunity to talk to her. Those that are racist, Lord, let, let's show them a way as to how you've created every human being in the image of God and that every human being is worthy of dignity and respect. The gospel changes everything. We, we focus so much on these negative aspects, Lord, but continue to bolster within us the Holy Spirit and give us encouragement that we can go and reach those individuals and just work at it one person at a time. Just one person at a time dealing with multiplication. Let us continue to invite our friends and family and our neighbors so that they can hear the good news of who you are. And let our spirits not be shy. Let us not be worried about what other people think, but let us continue to grow uh, in essence, a kind of fear for these other people because they don't know you and they don't have hope. They're living in a world that is filled with sin and ugliness and ultimately hopelessness, but they need your hope, Lord. They need to know your life as you've caused us to see it. So, Lord, use us well. It is in your name we'll forever pray.